Awesome. It's fantastic to be here this morning. Um, and um, my, my being here probably raises the question, what are you still doing here? Uh, so let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Yes, I am still moving to Australia. Um, the Australian authorities have yet to get the memo. Uh, we did put in the documents in a timiest fashion, but the goalposts have slightly moved with the Australian Home Affairs. What was a wait time of three months is now being broadcast as a wait time of five months, and so we're just waiting and letting patience have its perfect work in our lives and in Sean and Cheryl's lives, who are hoping to get our house once we're gone. <laughs> so, you know, that's how it goes. Um, so, yeah, um, my name's Adam. Um, I, I used to be part of the AM congregation many years ago, um, when, uh, when even before, before it was Josh Jen and then coming into Josh Jen and then bounced around a few places. Currently, I'm in Edgemead PM, and we're serving there with our family, and that's wonderful. Um, I've been asked to talk about the gift of tongues, and the gift of tongues is um, one of the gifts of the Spirit, um, and it's something that we do see in the Scriptures, and it's something that we do see in Pentecostal churches, and it's also something we see sometimes in churches like ours. Um, and in different churches you go to will have a different emphasis on tongues. Um, but what I want to do is I want to do um, a deep dive all the way back to the book of Genesis. Let's begin there. Let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Um, and so Genesis 11. There was a time when everyone on earth uh, spoke the same language around the dawn of cities when civilizations were just beginning um, and we see there was this one like proto-civilization, this singular civilization that was developing. Um, and after the flood, people had moved uh, from the east and they were settling in what has been called the Fertile Crescent, Mesopotamia. Um, and it says in Genesis 11 verse 1, the whole earth had one language and the same words. Now, you know how sometimes um, you could have the same language but don't have the same words? <laughs> That hadn't started happening yet. Okay, they had the same language and the same words. They were so together. They were so unified. They all understood each other. They all knew what was going on all the time. They had a recipe for bricks, and they used naturally occurring bitumen that was found in the area, and they could build buildings. And so um, verse 3 says... Then they came and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. That's verse 4. So, um, yeah, what had God told them to do? Well, when, when God spoke to Adam and when you know, God spoke to Noah, he was talking about multiplying and filling the whole earth. What are these guys not wanting to do? Fill the whole earth. <laughs> They're like, we don't want to go anywhere. <laughs> you know, it's um, a bit like Capetonians, you know. <laughs> Why would you leave the mother city, the promised land, you know? And um, as someone who's currently contemplating the prospect of leaving, um, you know, Joshton is a hard church to leave. And Cape Town's a hard city to leave. Yeah. You know, it's a good place to be. It's not bad. It's, it's, it's good. And, and these people were, were faced with that thing. They're like, we've got a good thing going here. Let's build a city. And so um, they were full of pride in a sense as well. Maybe they were full of nerves that they weren't 
wanting to go out there. They'd seen what was out there. They'd seen the beasts and the wild animals and the, and the savage conditions. Um, but they wanted to do something for themselves. They, there they said, let us make a name for ourselves. Now, this is funny because there was literally no one else there. I mean, who's going to hear the name? Just the people who's making a name. But it's like, it's, it, but it, this is the thing. Like, even if you're the only person in the room, you still want to be the best person in the room. Now, this is human nature. This is pride. This is us, our ambitions, our desires. And so what is God's solution for this problem of the human heart? Well, in this moment, um, and we find it in Genesis 11, um, 7 through 9, it's God's, you know, he sees what's going on. He speaks amongst himself. And he goes down, he messes up their plans. He says, come, let us go down and there confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth. Ironic, that's exactly what they were trying to avoid. And uh, they left off the building of the city and therefore its name was called Babel or Babel because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. God saw, you see, the pride of these people. He saw their ambition. He saw that they were trying to make a name for themselves. And remember, God is all about his own name and his own glory. And he put us on earth for his name and for his glory, not for our name and our glory. And so whenever we start moving towards elevating our name and our glory, he has a plan to pull the rug out from under us. And in this moment, his like his vehicle for pulling the rug out, was language. Till this point, everyone understood everything that was going on. Now you imagine, has anyone here ever worked on a building project? I was involved in this building project when we put this building up. And um, you know, it was just a bare patch of land. And then you dig, and you have to dig trenches for foundations. Yeah, I didn't do much of the digging, but I did do a lot of the walking around wearing a hard hat, you know, that stuff. But, um, and then... And then we went off to Malawi, Will and I, we were on a, a trip to Malawi and Vanessa was um, eight months pregnant with Asha and she was the building foreman for that season while we were in Malawi. So she's walking around with a Asha like this and, um, and she comes in the one day and she's, she calls Happy over, who's one of the builders, says, Happy, this here, this wall, this is meant to be a window. He's like, yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, look at the plant. Yeah, yeah, it's meant to be a window. Can we change it? He says. Like, can we change the plan? Because we've already done the wall, so we might as well have a wall, you know. <laughs> She's like, no, 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 no. There's a plan here. We go. Now, then he's got to explain because she's Australian, only speaks Australian, not, not even English. Um, and, um, and, and most of the guys we were working with building, you know, there's the language thing. And you've got to work through this. And now it's like, you know, pass it down the chain. Like, we've got to take down this bit of the wall. We've got to put the window in like it should be and all of that sort of thing. Imagine a real huge building project. The size of what they were trying to do in Babel. A tower reaching into the heavens. And now imagine no one can understand what anyone is saying. It's no wonder that project came to a grinding halt super fast. Like, just like, done. We're done. People are walking off the job. They're like, I don't know what he said. Que pasa? I don't know. <laughs> que? Um, and so, yeah. So that, it didn't go well. They left. They dispersed all over the world. 
Even today, we find that people are divided by language. It's often been joked that the English and Americans are two nations separated by a common language. Um, and, um, but even more so, a country like South Africa, we've got 11 recognized national languages. There's actually a ton, 12, where if you include, but you can't speak sign language. So spoken languages, we've got 11. And then you've got, um, <laughs> and then you could do it as descriptive audio. I am now holding my left hand here, and no, but it doesn't work like that. Um, and then, but there's also more than the 11. Obviously, there's other languages and dialects. And then if you think all just all up through Africa, I was looking at language charts and where, you know, they've tried to trace back where languages came from. And so all the origins of all the languages. When we, when we trace it all the way back, we've got about 20 base languages they can't get beyond. And so this is solid evidence that there was a moment in history where just either spontaneously in a single moment or however, and obviously the Bible suggests that is exactly what happened, um, 20 base languages. All the languages of earth, they can't, get, they can't trace them back to one. They can trace them back to 20, thereabouts. Um, but language, it could get in the way. We were in Paris a few years ago before COVID, you know, BC days. Um, and uh, we, <laughs> we, we'd been visiting family in England, and we were coming back, and we just did a couple of days' stop. It was actually the same price on the ticket to do a couple of days' stop in Paris. So we found an Airbnb, but to find one you can afford, you've got to be quite out of the city centre. So we're in Aulnay-sous-Bois, a lovely place, great bakery just around the corner, and fresh uh, pastries every morning. But then you have to go to the railway station, the gare. Uh, où est la gare? La gare. Hey, turn your doigt, turn your doigt. Uh, yeah, okay. And so we're there. We get there. Now, I've done high school French for at least a year. And so I have just enough French to impress Noah, my son. Sadly, not enough French to impress the ticket lady, the billet madame, um, behind the counter. So when I've exhausted my French trying to buy these four tickets into the town, and I say, uh, parlez-vous anglaise? She goes, non. Because that is the standard French response to parlez-vous anglaise. Even if they parlez the anglaise, they're not going to admit to it because of historical factors. So, um, so then she gets out her phone and she's typing words in French and showing me the English translation and I'm having to go, oui. <laughs> you know, like, cause that's what I got. And um, that... Just, you think, buying, uh, a friend of mine, he, when, my, when we were younger, he and my brother went a cycle trip across. You could, for a pound, you could get on the ferry and go over to France and then cycle around for a day and come back for a pound on the ferry. So they went over to a place called Dieppe, and they hadn't taken lunch. So he goes into the bakery, and he remembered that bread was pound. Because, again, I mean, like, you know, you learn French in school, but you don't think you're ever going to use it. And... Um, so he goes in the bakery and he goes, uh, what's the word for the? De? De pain. So the lady gives him two loaves of bread. <laughs> goes, un, deux, trois, quatorze, cinq. <laughs> so he's asked for de pain. So, um, so he just, too embarrassed, he just pays for both and leaves. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I meant. Um, but you see, language is really important. It's this thing that drives us apart. Obviously, it can also be something that brings us together. And so we see things like nationalism and identity often formed around language. Um, and so 
um, language, it's a thing. At the beginning of God's journey with man, he wanted to humble him. He wanted to spread him out. And the vehicle he used for that was language. Now we skip forward a few millennia and Jesus has just gone back to heaven. God is birthing his church in Jerusalem, which was the crossroads of the known world at that time from the Middle Eastern perspective. And and so we skip forward to uh, Acts 2 and starting in verse 1 through 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. That's not like all the people on the face of the earth. That's the um, disciples. Um, And suddenly there came, and Philip mentioned this in his prayer at the beginning of the meeting this morning, um, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So now at the beginning of the Old Testament, we have this moment where different languages are given. And now in the beginning of the New Testament story, as the second phase starts, we have this moment where languages are given. So what is the word tongues here? And obviously there's going to be some incredibly technical Greek term that we're not going to understand. Actually not the case. The word used tongues here is basically used exactly the same word that we use the word tongues in English. Um, It's used 50 times in the New Testament. And um, just to give you some examples, Mark 7, 33, when Jesus touches the man's tongue, that's the word, glossa. So it's a physical tongue. The tongue in your mouth, that's the same word. Um, Luke 1, 64, when Zechariah has been mute during his wife's pregnancy because of his lack of faith, but then he says, no, his son is going to be called John, and his tongue is loosed. And so in this sense, it's used more as a descriptive term for the ability to speak. And that's exactly how we'd you know, use it in English. Oh, has the cat got your tongue? You're not talking or whatever. Uh, we, we, it's not like you actually think a cat's got your tongue, but um, anyway... Acts 2.3, we just read it, with the tongues of fire. So something that's shaped like a tongue would be referred to using this word. That's exactly the same in the Greek. And in Revelation 13.7, when it talks about every tribe and people and tongue or language in some translations it has it, um, that word there translated language is actually tongue, and it's exactly the same word again. And so speaking with different tongues could literally just mean different languages. So the word in the Greek is used almost exactly the same way as we use the word tongue in the English language. So that means we can really understand what it means when we're reading it in the Bible. That's very helpful. So going back to Acts 2.4, it says, They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And so that means exactly what it sounds like it means, which is literally they had new languages or a new ability to speak in languages. So, how does it look? Well, the first example we have is people speaking languages that are already known human languages. So here, because as the story goes on, and we'll read it further in Acts 2, 5 to 11, it says, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, 
The multitude came together. What sound? These disciples all speaking in tongues because they've just received the Holy Spirit. They were bewildered, these foreign visitors from outside of Jerusalem, because each one was hearing these disciples speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, uh, Pamphylia, Greece, Egypt, parts of Libya, according to Cyrene. So, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, that's people who converted to Judaism, uh, Cretans, not Cretans, um, and Arabians. So uh, the, the, the Roman Empire at that time extended all the way through to the borders of India, all the way through the other direction, through to sort of parts of Italy, maybe southern Spain, north of Africa, and then up through Asia, Asia Minor. So basically there's representatives from nearly all those regions in Jerusalem. Every one of them is hearing the gospel in their own language. And that is a remarkable reversal of what happened at Babel. In one place, God is dividing people and scattering people using language. In another place, God is unifying and bringing together people around the gospel of Jesus Christ, still keeping them humble, but now making them unified instead of scattering that unity. He's bringing them together. And what is the vehicle he uses? It's the gift of tongues. And this is an amazing gift. And I know for most of us who have had any experience of speaking in tongues, this, it's unlikely that this is the version of tongues we've experienced. In my own life, I've only ever had this happen to me once um, that I'm aware of. It may have happened other times that I wasn't aware of. Um, it was many years ago, and I wish I had a more recent story, but you know, it's up to the Lord. Uh, <laughs> so many years ago, I was ministering at a youth conference in England, and... Um, I was playing the piano, there had been some ministry, and I was doing the worship afterwards, and as was our style, I was singing in the spirit on the microphone, and I remember thinking at the time, that sounds a bit Spanish. I was wrong, Um, but it just, to me, I I didn't particularly speak Spanish other than I had learned how to say, quiero un chicken long menu, por favor. Uh, which is, can I have the chicken long menu from Burger King? Because you need that kind of language when you're traveling overseas. <laughs> so I had, I had a small amount of Spanish. I did know some song lyrics because we'd done a Spanish album once, which we'd toured. But, um, yeah, I, I didn't speak Spanish. But I kind of had that feeling that oh, maybe it feels a bit Spanish. Anyway, after the meeting... This lady comes up very excited. She's a delegate at the conference. She's flown in from Italy. And where she comes from in the north-west uh, side of Italy, she comes from a small village in the top. And there's a very particular Italian dialect they speak there, quite near the border of Spain. And when I'd been singing in tongues on the microphone, I'd been speaking her home language. Not just speaking her home language, but I was talking about the things that had just been preached and confirming them to her in her home language from her hometown. My mind was like, blown. I'm like, that's pretty wild, you know? And like I say, I wish I could say it happened a lot. It doesn't happen a lot. As to my knowledge, it's never happened again. But sometimes when I speak in tongues, I do feel like there's certain nuances, like, oh, sounds very Russian today, or, or something, or maybe whatever, you know. But um, 
just roll with it. You never know who might be listening, you know, so um, just go with it. Um, but this is our first experience of tongues. And so when Paul talks about tongues as being, he talks about it in Corinthians, talks about tongues being a, a witness to unbelievers, you go, well, tongues is a weird thing to do in front of somebody who doesn't know Jesus. This is the kind of tongues he's talking about. Of course, this is a witness to unbelievers. That's exactly how 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. Now, when Peter stands up to speak to them, he doesn't speak in tongues. When, when they're saying, what is this? He stands up and he's probably speaking Greek because, because of the Hellenization that happened under Alexander the Great. That whole crowd probably all at least got by in Greek. And so he would probably have used Greek to talk to a massive international crowd. A bit like today, you'd probably use either English or Mandarin uh, to talk to a large crowd of people because chances are you're going to hit them with one of those, you know. Um, Same thing. But the tongues is what drew the crowd because people were hearing their own languages and they were drawn in by that. And they were going, this gospel of Jesus? And then they go, what can we do to be saved? And the 3,000 people get added to the church in one day because of the gift of tongues. No signs or wonders in terms of healings, stuff like that are recorded at that event. Just people speaking in tongues and 3,000 people added to the church. That's an amazing thing. You go, wow. <laughs> Would anyone be keen to see 3,000 people added to Edgemead AM because you spoke in tongues? I mean, it'd be decent, eh? So let's be open to it. Let's say God... I could be used by that. But to do that, you'd actually have to speak in tongues. Acts 2, 4. It wasn't that they spoke because they knew how. It says, they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so it's really important to understand, this is not that we've learned a language, this is not that we are competent in a language, this is that the Spirit enables. And so we see exactly the same idea, Um, we see the Spirit enabling when um, people are speaking in languages that are not human languages as well. But we'll come to that just now. Uh, There's two other occurrences where we we see the Holy Spirit coming on a group and them speaking in tongues. Acts 10.46 and Acts 19.6, which I'm not going to read now for the sake of time. But those two occurrences, we also see tongues being spoken after the Holy Spirit coming on them. But there isn't a record in those moments of anyone around about understanding what was being said. And so we can't say for certain that every time people spoke in tongues after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, even in the New Testament, that the tongues they spoke was tongues that anyone could understand. But there was that one time, the first time. And so that's wonderful that God did that. Um, So we talked about tongues as a human language. Now let's talk about tongues as a heavenly language, which is the other way the Bible describes it. Um, Pretty much every other explicit reference to the gift of tongues is found in 1 Corinthians. Um, Paul writes to the Corinthians, and we've got to remember when we're reading the book of 1 Corinthians that he's trying to correct something. Um, So he's dealing with a correction, a course correction. They've been in a state of excess regarding the gifts of the Spirit, and he's trying to bring them into a correct kind of use. Not disuse, we don't want to close the door, and he says at one point, don't forbid the speaking of tongues. So he knows that overcorrection is possible, and he's saying don't go to overcorrection, bring it back to correct use. So 
Um, for some of us, when it says let only three, we'd like, if only three. <laughs> I mean, like, wouldn't it be nice if three? But for, in their case, like, it was going crazy, so they had to bring it back to three. We might need to bring it up to three. So just to bear that in mind as we talk through these verses. Um, so it's given here in 1 Corinthians, he describes it as one of the gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 10, and verse um, 28 both talk about it. It says, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. And then verse 28 also says, of different kinds of tongues. So these are gifts that are given. Um, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. And so um, this it's interesting that tongues of men and of angels is put next to each other and it's possible that both of these this is uh, 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 it's possible that both of these are a reference to the gift of speaking in tongues because he's listing things that people might think make them spiritual so just talking your home language no one's ever going to think that makes them spiritual I don't feel spiritual because I'm speaking English. I know often Afrikaans people think they're spiritual because they're speaking Afrikaans. I've, I've heard that. I've heard that. Language of heaven, all that stuff. I'm not going to go there, not buying into it. But, um, um, but no, no one ever thinks they're being very clever when they speak the language they grew up speaking. It doesn't make you feel very spiritual. Okay. I might feel spiritual speaking King James English. Um, so when it says... If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, he's describing here something that might make me feel very spiritual but actually means nothing if I haven't got love. And there's two different tongues that's described there. It's the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. So you go, okay, well, maybe. Uh, I wouldn't want to be double down on this, but maybe here there's a reference to these two different versions of tongues being mentioned in the scriptures. Um, but certainly as we go on in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2, it says, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him. But he has to mis- utters mysteries in the spirit. You go, well, hang on. That's not what happened in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, people did understand them. And they were not uttering mysteries in the spirit. They were speaking the gospel to unbelievers. So, obviously, what Paul is doing here in his correction of the Corinthian church, he's speaking into a specific context, and he's saying, the general manifestation you're experiencing of tongues is that the tongues is you speaking mysteries. That's your experience of tongues. Your experience of tongues is you're not speaking human languages, you're speaking mysteries. And so, you're not talking to people, you're talking to yourself and to God. And I think for most of us, who here does already speak in tongues? You've spoken in tongues before in your life. Okay, for most of us, would you say your usual experience of speaking in tongues is that it's a mystery? Yeah, I think that's most of our experience. Like for myself, I say the other thing I've only had the one time as far as I know. Um, so um, Romans eight twenty six takes this even a step further. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we, as we ought, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
Has anyone ever been in a prayer meeting where the tongues got to the degree of almost just being like, Ugh! we used to have prayer meetings with this lady called Gordana. She was um, from the former Soviet Union and she taught us a lot about intercession and stuff. And um, she, some of her prayer meetings were pretty intense. It would start off just like, and then by the end it's like, Yah! do that for a couple of hours. You've got great core. Um, you know, <laughs> you really work those central muscles, and because that's like it's for real. You know, like really, it's groanings that can't be uttered. It's just like this deep travailing in the spirit. This sense of like, I'm giving myself to prayer in a way that's almost unnatural. But when the Bible talks about prayer sometimes being likened to you know, birth pangs, you know, like a woman in labor, and I've n- not been present for that, but my wife's a doula, and she's been present over 400 births, and um, labor is it's brutal. It's, 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 you know, it's very, very raw. And women aren't so worried about their makeup and, and, and stuff and <laughs> in, in labor. They're just worried that they're going to stay alive, and they're like, ah, get this thing out of me. And sometimes prayer needs to get to that level. And there needs to be a level of faith in us that's actually like, ah, Jesus. You know? And if we let the Spirit do that through us, we might not recognize that as language even. It might just feel like we've gotten to a place of groanings that can't be uttered. Is this also the Spirit? Yeah, the Spirit does that. He can, he can pray through us. When we don't know how to pray, He can pray any way He likes. <laughs> and, um, and so we, we need to be open to some of these things that just don't fit in our tidy box of what's nice to do. I can feel very spiritual praying a tidy prayer in King James English. But just standing there, losing the plot, going, doesn't feel as spiritual unless I'm clued into how God works. If I'm clued into how God works, that he actually, he, he, he uses language, lack of language, addition of language to keep us humble. If he's going to give me tongues, it's not going to make me look good. It's not going to make me feel puffed up. It's going to constantly make me feel like a nana. Okay, so tongues is already pretty weird, if you think about it. I'm just talking like that, 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 that. Um, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm committing myself to speaking words. I don't even know what the words are. That's about the opposite end of being smart. You know, like, I think it was Mark Twain said, um, you know, <laughs> either speak... And be thought of fool. <laughs> or no, be silent and thought of fool, or open your mouth and remove all doubt. You know, like there's sometimes speaking is the worst thing we can do, but speaking garbage, absolute worst thing we can do. Speaking words that no one understands, that's really off the deep end. And yet that's what we're called to in the gift of tongues. It's a gift to us. It's a gift that keeps us humble. It's a gift that keeps us in tune with the Spirit. It's a, a gift that actually allows the Spirit to pray through us the perfect thing at the right time to minister to God's heart, to draw down the promises He's given us in His Word. And, and so we're able to pray exactly what needs to be prayed. That's amazing.
And so we definitely want this gift. We definitely want it in, in our lives. But it's going to take us allowing ourselves to be a little bit less proper <laughs> than maybe we'd be comfortable with. Um, so 1 Corinthians 14 uh, verses 4 to 5. The one who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. Here, he's starting to draw a line. Remember, this is course correction for the Corinthians. So he's not making rules for all of the church for all of time. What he's saying is, for you guys, you may be doing one thing in excess. I'd love if you actually prophesied. And by prophesy here, he means speaking the word of the Lord right now for you as a people. And so um, he's saying it's better than tongues because it actually builds up the church when you use the language you're used to hearing. But then he gives us his other thing that's a possibility. He said, unless when you speak in tongues, you interpret so the church can be built up. And so here, we, this idea that he mentioned when he was talking about the gifts, he said there's tongues, but there's also the interpretation of tongues. Now we have this idea that even when tongues is a heavenly language, not a human language, we could still interpret because if the tongues is a gift of the Spirit, then understanding or interpreting that tongue can also be a gift of the Spirit. And so just as he gives us the tongue, he can give us the interpretation of the tongue. Each is an act of faith. Now, in my experience, speaking in tongues is a lesser act of faith than interpreting the tongue. <laughs> and it used to be, back in the old days, that often um, you'd have someone generally an older gentleman, stand up at the back of the church and loudly proclaim, Shalala, Kalala, Shamala, Shalala, Lala. And it was like this dare he'd thrown out to the congregation, see if you, what you can do with that, you know. And then, and then the whole meeting's on pause until someone interprets. And that's not necessarily good order. Um, but it is, I don't know if anyone else had that experience. It's almost like sometimes tongues and interpretation, there's, um, the person giving the tongue is really happy to give the tongue. Because <laughs> that, like, no sweat, man. You just stand there and say a bunch of stuff, but no one understands anyway. But the interpretation part, that really requires faith because everyone's going to know if it's right. It's going to resonate or not resonate. I remember being in meetings where, um, where Andrew was leading and we'd have like a tongue would come and then you'd have one, two, three, four attempts at an interpretation and Andrew's going, nah. Nah, that's not it. <laughs> and I'm going, flip. Who's going to walk up second? <laughs> Who's going to walk up third? But the reality is, everyone knew it. That you feel, no, that's not what that person was saying. Because it is a spiritual thing. It resonates with your spirit. And when you hear the person talking in tongues, although it doesn't build you up in any sense because you don't understand it, it does still, if you're in the spirit, you're engaging with that. And you kind of begin to feel something. And then... If the person says the right thing, if they interpret it correctly, you go, yes. And you get that sense of that is what's happening. And so it's by the Spirit. Again, it's not because we're clever. It's not because we're better than someone else. These are just gifts. Gifts mean nothing when it comes to your character and that sort of stuff. It doesn't prove anything about you. Because gifts are given freely. And, and they are given without repentance, the Bible says. In other words, if I now mess up my character, fall off the rails and everything, I still have the gift. Um, and so a gift doesn't prove anything about your spirituality. It's a gift that's given. And, but these are good gifts. We want these gifts. 
And, and so when someone operates in these gifts, it's encouraging, especially when then interpretation comes. So tongues in church, how should we use it in church? Some people have said, well, because it's not for building up the body, we don't use it in church. Some people have said we shouldn't use it in a meeting where there might be the lost, because Paul says, you know, it's going to put the lost off coming into your meetings. Again, this is all from the book of Corinthians. All of that is a course correction for guys who are using it to an excess. Um, but there are some things he says. 1 Corinthians fourteen twelve to 13, he says, So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, and I hope I can say the same to the church in Edgemead this morning, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. This is something that's not often mentioned. We do need, and the next verse I've got there, um, 27 to 28 he says if any speak in a tongue let there be only two or at most three and each in turn and let someone interpret and if there's no one to interpret let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God he says keep silent but then he says speak so he's not saying silent as in not at all making a noise what he means is don't talk it on the microphone they didn't have microphones there but you know what I mean like it's not to be publicly proclaimed it's to be done as part of your personal devotion. So still use tongues, personal devotion. But if there's faith for interpretation, then you can bring it as a public declaration that could be interpreted for the building up of the church. But notice the verse before that we looked at, 12 to 13. The one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. So a tongue shouldn't be thrown out as a dare to the rest of the congregation. Like, see what you could do with that. Like, I've done my bit. No, if you're bringing the tongue, you should be praying that you would be the one who would interpret that tongue. Now, this is really useful in public ministry. It also plays into how we use it in our private times with the Lord. Because if I'm praying the perfect prayer, because it's the Spirit praying through me and the Spirit doesn't get stuff wrong. If I'm praying the perfect prayer, wouldn't it be great to know what that prayer was? So if I'm at home and maybe there's someone in the church and I've heard about a situation they're facing, I want to pray for them. I don't really know what to pray. I don't have any context for the, you know, what they're going through. It's never happened to me. I don't really understand it. Maybe I don't even know them very well. I can pray in tongues and I can pray the perfect prayer. And that's fantastic. But Paul says, but my mind is unfruitful. So while I'm praying in the Spirit, my mind might start to drift. What are we having for supper tonight? When's the next game the Springboks are playing? Who won the netball? Like, and I'm praying in tongues, and I'm really ministering to the Lord for this person. Meanwhile, my mind is unfruitful. It's drifting off over. So then I should pray that I can interpret so as I'm speaking in tongues, that the Holy Spirit is actually dropping into my mind the things I'm saying in tongues. There's like an interpretation that starts to percolate through. And Paul describes it like this. He says that I pray with my spirit and then I pray with my mind. I sing with my spirit and then I sing with my mind so that my mind will not be unfruitful. And so there's this back and forth between tongues and your home language. Tongues and the home language. Tongues and the home language. So that you can stay in step with the spirit. It's very important we stay in step with the Spirit. We don't ever want to be like, you, know, you see these videos of like what happens in voodoo and stuff like that. Where, you know, a person is just taken over as a host for a spirit. And, and they're just, I mean, they're so gone. They have no clue what the Spirit is doing through them. And this is not the Holy Spirit. 
and and in the, but their body is sort of animated by the spirit and they're writhing and they're maybe making proclamations or whatever and when they come out of that trance like state they have no clue what happened that is not how the holy spirit operates through us in my experience in the church you should know what's going on <laughs> if it's the holy spirit you you know what's going on and you can engage your mind and your mind can be fruitful and so when you pray in the spirit pray that you'd interpret so that even in your private times of praying you have more to pray with so now the same thing i just prayed in the spirit i can now pray in my home language and i can really engage my mind and my heart you know if i'm praying in the spirit i might be moved with emotion but i don't even understand the emotion but if i have an interpretation i realize what the intercession is and how you know the heart of god is broken for this person then that i begin to understand where the emotions coming from i engage with empathy i engage with all of who i am in praying for them and it's a, it's a very different experience to just praying in tongues um i remember going to a church once um, in bath in england and there was we were being introduced to different people I was with my parents at that time I was much younger being introduced to different people and this one guy walks up and he was an american missionary he said oh and this is so and so he's discovered the ability to pray without ceasing right. decent <laughs> what it meant was he just walked around the whole time talking in tongues which made him just the weirdest person to be with. <laughs> like when the Bible says pray without ceasing, I don't know if it means that. I don't know if it means he's just walk around mumbling in tongues uh like, you know, like that guy you see in his dressing gown at the shopping mall like late in the evening. <laughs> uh, that's I I don't think that's what it means. I think, you know, when it says pray without ceasing, it's that we just have this cycle of praying, hearing the spirit, being moved by God and and so on and so forth. Okay. So um earnestly desire to prophesy this is verse 39 of chapter 14 do not forbid speaking in tongues so anyone can use tongues personally or even in church but if it's used in public ministry it should be interpreted but we still don't forbid it um who can speak in tongues 1 Corinthians 12:30 says do all speak in tongues do all interpret Now the fact that he's asking the question and then the fact that he's putting it alongside things like are all apostles probably means that he's expecting us to say no. And that I'll admit as someone who's raised Pentecostal that's a touch disappointing. I would love to think that every single person will speak in tongues or does speak in tongues. But he's not saying canal he's saying dual I think there's a key difference there. Because he then goes on to say 1 Corinthians 12:31 but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. But don't settle for do all speak na oh well. Earnestly desire. And so for you your experience may be that until this point you have never spoken in tongues. Do all speak in tongues? Right now I already asked for a show of hands. We know not all do. Could all? Well, that's another question. The Bible doesn't answer with a no. Could all? Perhaps. Earnestly desire 
spiritual gifts. And so if you desire to speak in tongues, continue to hold fast to that desire. Continue to ask for the gift. God is a father who gives good gifts to his children. And it's so useful for corporate worship when we come together. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it says, Each of you has a hymn or word of instruction, a revelation, or a tongue, or an interpretation. It's right up there amongst the gifts that can be used in the body um, to build up the church. How do we receive it? Um, Many ways. One of the verses in Acts talks about they laid hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit, and at that time they spoke in tongues. In another place, Peter was just preaching... And suddenly they started speaking in tongues. He hadn't even got to the punchline. It wasn't an altar call. He hadn't got them saved yet. And they were Gentiles, which made it worse. And they were definitely not saved. Properly not saved. I mean, they weren't even Jewish. They were Gentiles. And they were in the middle of hearing the gospel. But there must have been something that happened in their hearts where they received it. Which, again, confirmation that getting saved is not about doing a sinner's prayer. It's about receiving him in our hearts and then confessing. And as they began to confess, the language that came out was tongues. (laughs) Amazing. And Peter goes, well, if I needed proof that God loves Gentiles, this is it. Because they received the same outpouring that we received. That's an amazing thing. So we can all receive. That was similar to my experience with speaking in tongues um, uh, when I was younger, we were part of a house church for a season, for about a year. A couple had come over from South Africa to England. They had asked my parents if they would host a, a church plant. And so for a year, we met in our house and the downstairs in the lounge. We, we did church, which meant that that couple of my parents sat there and the guy from down the road, uh, Stuart, um, he would come. And, um, and, then, and then the wife would take us boys upstairs, the three of us boys, and do Sunday school. And for a year, it didn't grow, it didn't go anywhere. But the Lord taught us some stuff during that time. During that time, I got baptized and I got filled with the Spirit. And the way it happened was, I wasn't old enough to receive the Spirit, according to them. But my brother was, so they were praying for him. And I was sat on the bed, because you know, Sunday school was the bedroom. So <laughs> I'm sat on the bed watching them pray for him to receive the Holy Spirit. And I'm thinking, don't see why I can't have this too. <laughs> so they said to him, start speaking in tongues. He speaks in tongues, so I just start speaking in tongues. <laughs> <laughs> and that was that. And um, like I say, I know it's real because <laughs> of some of the experiences I've had with it. But like, no one ever laid on hands. But in other situations, people lay on hands. Other situations, you'd be praying on your own privately. Um, I think in the video, Mornay talks about his experience. Again, he had a different experience of how he received tongues. So different people have different ways of... Um, but what we do know is that tongues is a gift for those who accept the gospel of Jesus Christ and then receive the gift that he gives of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning we've been talking about tongues and if you want to receive tongues, it's given to those who have received Jesus. And what does it mean to receive Jesus? Well, we know that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What does it mean to be a sinner? Well, we are all sinners. We talked at the beginning about those men who had learned to make bricks. and They wanted to make a name for themselves. All of us are like that in some way. We want to make a name for ourselves. We're not a sinner uh, because of wrong things we've done. We do wrong things because we're actually like that deep in our core. We are a sinner. We want to make a name for ourselves. We want to do things our way. And yet God placed us into this world for his glory and for his name. And so God created us for a purpose. And we moved away from that purpose. And this thing, sin, got 
in the way of us having the relationship with God that he wanted. And sin is something that separates us from God and it leads to death. And God didn't want that for us. And so he sent Jesus to pay the price of that death and to die for us so that we could live with God forever. That in a nutshell is kind of like the gospel. A very, very short version. But it could be you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and as your God. And this morning is a fantastic opportunity to do that. We've been talking about how God can work through his spirit in our lives. But the, the way we, that begins is when we give our lives to Jesus and, and surrender ourselves and humble ourselves. It's a far better thing to humble yourself before God than be humbled by God. You don't want him to have to humble you. Rather, humble yourself. Do it voluntarily. Come to him and give your life to him. And then he can pour out his spirit on you. And so as we come towards the, the end of, of this part of the meeting, I'd love to create an opportunity for those of you who don't know Jesus to receive Jesus as your Lord. It could also be that there are people here and you have never received the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Jesus is the one who gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to go away and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. It's better for you that I go. What's better than having Jesus living in your street? Having the Holy Spirit living in you. And so it could be this morning, you need to receive the Holy Spirit. That's something we can do this morning. We've got a whole bunch of leaders here just frothing, ready to pray for you and see the Holy Spirit come. Like Philip prayed at the beginning, like a rushing wind. We'll see what happens. Let's see. Let's not put God in a box, but maybe. Okay, so... Um, and then maybe you've been asking God for the gift of tongues. Maybe you've never even heard of the gift of tongues. This morning, the first time you think, decent, I'd go for some of that. Let's pray. Let's pray and say, God, why not today? We, we can't tell God what to do, but we can ask him. And we can earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And these are gifts he gives to his children because he loves us. And so we can ask him for these things. And so I'm just going to pray now, um, and then I'm going to offer that first um, opportunity that I mentioned, that if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord, I encourage you, when I offer that opportunity, to raise your hand and pray with me so you can invite Jesus to be your Lord. And then we're also going to pray for these other things. But Lord, I pray, let's just close our eyes. Lord, I pray.